Welcome to the Mike on Much podcast. I am your host, Mike Veerman, and I am here with my friend and trusty producer, Max Kerman. Max. Hey, sorry, I'm charging my phone. I'm plugging my phone. Classic Max. Sorry, I'm back. Hey, guys. <laughs> uh, we're also here with Shane, who's uh, in the studio again, uh, off the top. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, but uh, for context, this past weekend was a very big weekend in Toronto. It was the NBA All-Star Weekend, uh, which we all uh, enjoyed to varying degrees. Uh, but it was also Valentine's Day. So I think we're going to start there, guys. Um, and also on today's show, I should say, we got a great interview. We got Shad. Yeah, the the host of uh, CBC's Q. Yeah, I was uh, I was picking his brain for interview uh, style, you know. What yeah. was a uh, tip that he gave you? You're going to have to listen to the interview. Man. Yeah, good tease, though. <laughs> <laughs> I need those tips. <laughs> um, yeah, but so stick around for that. That will be later in the show. Uh, let's start with Valentine's Day, fellas. We're all in committed relationships. It's so true. this should be pretty good. We should have a lot to offer. You guys are pretty uh, big romantics, in uh, my opinion. Yeah, so really? what did you do to dazzle your ladies? Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, so Saturday night, the day before Valentine's Day, uh, she was going out with some friends in Toronto. It was NBA All-Star Saturday night. So I watched it with you guys in this very apartment. Then Shane went home, and then I picked her up from the bar. It was so <laughs> cold on Saturday night. Uh, and so I got in an Uber, picked her up, and came right back here. It was like a five-minute kind of like ride there and back. But the cab, the Uber guy understood what I was trying to – like it was so cold. It was a really nice gesture. It was so cold in Toronto uh, this past Saturday that it was actually the coldest it's been since January of 1994. Yeah, it was crazy. So we came back here, and uh, I was thinking uh, – so we were going to sleep on your pull-out couch yep. uh, with uh, you in the, in the room over. Like, yeah. I was thinking about getting really romantic and like uh, having like sort of flowers and like roses spread across the pull-out <laughs> couch. Uh, I was like, hey, how's this for you, Valentine's Day, baby? I'm getting it going early. But I, did, but I got too lazy. Actually, I remember it was like 11.50 – Probably 11.49. We were watching Saturday Night Live. And then I was sitting to myself, I was like, I still haven't figured out what I'm doing for Valentine's Day. <laughs> do you think I could, do you think there's like a card I could buy? She likes cards. Uh, is Shopper still open? And then Mike said, it closes at midnight. And there was like 11 minutes uh, <laughs> to go. And I was, I was like, oh, I can't do it. So I literally had nothing prepared. Right. But we woke up uh, in your apartment. Uh, went to- Did you have sex? No. No, no, no. Come on. We're not with Mike in the next room over. I had my headphones in. I was watching Doctor Who. So it was a very I kept on telling her that. His headphones (laughs) are in. (laughs) Uh, She had none of it. Uh, But uh, we went to Fresh, uh, her favorite sort of vegetarian restaurant for Mm. for breakfast. We went to... Oh, this is what happened. She she doesn't really want much or have many like material needs. But she's mentioned that she wants to have a watch because she's never really had like a, a decent watch before. And I figured the money I was saving on a hotel in Toronto, which would have cost me 150, 200 bucks. I was like, oh, maybe I'll just buy you a watch. And I was like, hey. So at breakfast, I was like, you know, I was thinking long and hard about what I want to do for Valentine's Day for you. Let's get you a watch today, baby. Ooh. So we went over to Eden Center and we picked up a watch. She really likes it. And then we went to go see um, How to Be Single. Do you know that movie? Yeah, so with Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson, Dakota Johnson. Leslie Mann. And he went to one of your shows, Dakota Johnson, I heard a rumor. Yeah, yeah. Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan came to our Vancouver show. Wow, wow. from Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah, they must be filming the sequel in Vancouver, and they were looking for something to do. Yeah. Uh, they all bought merch. They asked for it to be signed, signed vinyl. And wow, stuff. they really liked Fifty Shades of Max? <laughs> no, that's not. The, the, the part I just said is not true. <laughs> uh, but, but they were there. But they apparently, you know what? I didn't even know they were there, but somebody tweeted at us saying, you know, so-and-so is at your show. I was like, you're a liar. They're like, no, I swear to God, they like literally bought tickets, and they went to the show. So I don't know if they liked the show, but they were there, which is pretty cool. Shane, what did you do for Valentine's Day? Sorry. That's <laughs> <I got laughs> the perfect segue. Um, I always like a good surprise. 
And I thought Alex would be super surprised if I got her nothing. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because you know how everyone always says that they're not going to get anything? But then usually they'll pull out a little something. Yeah, it's like, just I kidding. had nothing. I actually had nothing. <laughs> but uh, just the reason why I thought it would be okay is because Alex, my girlfriend, and I didn't get anything for Christmas for each other. So then I was feeling comfortable, and I was like, she definitely didn't get me anything. But then she gave me a card, uh, and then I started feeling guilty. Girls love cards, by the way. Lauren I know, I know. a good card, and I just cannot be bothered. But I really, but she, it means a lot to her, so I should probably do that more often. But then... It's about what you write in that card. Yeah. yeah that's true. It is. The, it's the writing and all yeah. that. That takes time. And then she got me... A uh, couple of, uh, like a sweatshirt and a, uh, <laughs> like a little z- zip up jacket. A like, trip to Paris. Like, what yeah. else did she get you? And then I, I told her I had a card for her, <laughs> which was a lie. But I'm like, oh, I'll just scrounge one together and write it up. And I was looking for like good papers and stuff to make. Where were you in your house? There? My house. Yeah. So I, I, saw, I bought a lot of stationery shit. It's just hard to find it. In my, my place is all messy where you keep papers, it's always a mess. So then I had all these colored post-it notes. So I tried to make like a little card out of What was she doing note. while you were scrambling? She was showering. It takes girls a long time to wash their hair. Uh, I'm like, ah, I got some time. <laughs> and she saw right through that I just made it instantly. And <laughs> it wasn't a passable card. Yeah. But I did I did do something kind of awesome. Um, you know how for being creators, which were, I guess we're called much creators uh, doing this podcast, they gave us a Christmas gift, mm-hmm. which is this Pico projector, which you guys kind of just tossed to the wayside, but I... <laughs> I donated mine, Shane. <laughs> yeah, to charity. to the Oh, in the corner right there with the dust all over it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I opened it up and I bought the attachments. The attachments did cost $100 for it, so that's kind of a bitch. But I set it up and I have it like reflecting. I project uh, cool images off all these mirrors and I shot off all the lights. And so it's just all these like psychedelic images all over my room. And then I played like awesome music, and we just kind of lay there in the room and do it to that <laughs> music. It's awesome, though. It's like uh, my girlfriend was like, "This is like the greatest thing I've ever experienced." I'm paraphrasing, but <laughs> she said something like that. Wow! But it was really awesome. So that that's kind of something romantic. like that. How how can you do that? That's thoughtful. Yeah. What about you, Mikey? Well, here's the thing. It also happens to coincide with the NBA All Star Game, and anyone that knows me knows that I'm a big uh, hoops fan. So. I, I'm going to be watching the NBA All-Star Game, yeah. and then we'll roll Valentine's Day to the Monday. Because I'm doing that, and I acknowledge she's being super cool about letting me do my basketball thing. Um, I got a little card and like a nice little gift certificate to Joe Fresh that she likes doing, some chocolate. So nice. just like a little, on Sunday morning, hey, I'm thinking about you, and then we'll go for a nice dinner yeah, uh, get tomorrow. Let basketball. Please don't interrupt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. So that was Valentine's Day. But like I said, uh, the most important thing that happened this past weekend was the NBA All-Star Game in Toronto. The most important, by far. Outside of the United States for the first time in NBA history. Did you guys do anything for NBA All-Star Weekend? Uh, I didn't. Uh, I, w- I assumed I'd be going to parties and stuff like that. But I just but I had just gone back from L.A. and I didn't want to. I couldn't be bothered. But our friend Adam Burchill, uh, who listens to this podcast, he was a big part of putting on the All-Star Weekend festivities. So we were hearing, I was seeing what was going on. Basically. That we weren't involved that in That we whatsoever. weren't involved. So he didn't do shit for us. He didn't get us really into anything. He didn't, I, I didn't, he didn't even text. No, yeah, yeah. He acted but, like but he didn't know us. We, but, but based on his Instagram, he was throwing parties for Usher and Gwen Stefani. Oh, he's walking Snoop onto stage. He was going to tip premieres of stuff. Yeah. He, he was like, yeah, he was at the dunk contest. He was just, 
But yeah. I got into a Kyle Lowry party. Oh, yeah. My so oh. you did go to an event. Tell us about that. Yeah, our friend John Poplis, uh, he's connected. He knows a lot of bottle service people, <laughs> girls always. Like hostess and shit. Yeah, like Playboy type chicks. And <laughs> and so uh, you were invited, and then inexplicably you backed out. I'm not sure exactly what the reasoning was why you backed out, because oh. Kyle Lowry is your favorite player. Yeah, well, the thing is I started drinking at 5.30, and then we weren't going to the party till 11. Right, you had like a laptop excuse. Oh, I also had my laptop from work at the bar with me, so I was like, I'm drunk, I need to get this laptop home. I love Kyle, but I don't need to go watch him like from 10 feet away while he drinks expensive liquor. Mm-hmm. Hey, sorry, side note. I heard about uh, the, the day you told Dan and Julian about the wedding party. Yeah. And that you had brought the ring with you to the bar. <laughs> this is what happened. Okay. So <laughs> we get the ring in New York. It's like a, a size or two too big. So then I go and get it resized on Queen Street. Um, they're like, oh, we'll be ready in like a few days. So they call me that morning. They're like, oh, Mr. Veerman, the ring is ready. I'm like, awesome. That also happens to be the day that our friends Julian and Dan and my brother Greg are in town going to see... Wet, the band Wet. The band Wet. So they're like, hey, we're all hanging out in the city. Do you want to come? I'm like, well, hey, I'm going to be on Queen West anyway. I'll go for progies with you guys. One thing leads to another. We start having a night. You break the news to to Dan and Julian that they're going to be in your wedding party. Absolutely. So So big night. Became a celebration. Yeah. I you, had you this, had six pierogies to keep you, you sort of as your base. You really did hear this story. I heard about it. And so it's like, <laughs> Mike had six pierogies for dinner, but like also three shots, <laughs> followed by nine, nine uh, pitchers. Yeah. So I get home. I don't really quite remember getting home, but I wake up like at like six in the morning and Danica's kind of getting out for work. And I'm like, hey, I didn't tell you this, but I got that ring resized. And she's like, oh, awesome. <laughs> and I'm like, let me go get it. So I go to grab my coat because the ring was on my inside pocket. And I go to the inside pocket, and it's not there. <laughs> and so I'm still kind of drunk from the night before. I'm actually absolutely still drunk from the night before. And, but I start to panic and get the sweats. And I'm like, no, you didn't do this, Mike. You did not lose the ring drinking with the fellows. <laughs> so I start like checking in my computer desk, and I'm now in a full-on panic. But I'm trying to play it cool. Like, so Dan doesn't know that I've somehow misplaced it or what. <laughs> and so I'm starting to panic. And then finally I go to the drawer by our like, bed, and I see the little pouch that it was in yeah. and everything. And I was like sweet relief and i'm like here it is my darling and she's like you didn't know where it was did you <laughs> and then i had to like i was like no I didn't. and then yeah but she was very happy to get it oh, but good that was quite a diversion so back to nba all-star weekend shane you go to yeah. this kyle lowry party with john Poplis, who knows the hostesses the second you drop out i get worried because i'm not a club guy and they're holding it at the prototypical club like yeah. the uns uns style style thing <laughs> Poplis is six foot five. The guy he bringing me. Guy. He's a club guy. Gel hair, like muscular arms, and all of that <laughs> stuff. So uh, I'm like, oh, they're not going to let me in. Like if it, if I was with you, we'd look more similar to get in. And then, sure enough, we get to the door, and Pop's like guest list. And then the guy pulls it. <laughs> We're luckily on tickets are forty dollars. We don't have to pay. We get oh, that okay. pass. I'm like, oh shit. I'm like, I'm going to get in. The guy's like, whoa. He's like, yeah, we have a dress code here. And I'm like, okay, Pops and I are wearing the same thing. In fact, Pops is just wearing a T-shirt. Like, he's just wearing a T-shirt. He's like, you're good. But he's like, this guy, I don't know. What were you wearing? Like, a sweater. And, geez, same thing as Pops. It's just I'm not, like, short T-shirt with rippling muscles and I'm not (laughs) 6'5". That was the only difference. And then he's like, I don't know if we can let you in, man. And But I'm like... um, as you know, Mike, we drank quite a bit before I go. So I'm like oddly confident. I'm like, oh, you'll let me in. I was like, this whole thing. 
<laughs> and I rip. It's freezing cold that night. I rip off my jacket, throw it to Pops, and do a runway walk in front of the whole line. <laughs> and the guy's like, I like your stash. You're good. Because I have a mustache. So he let me in. Wow. So it felt amazing. to Just getting in was the best feeling in the world. Just walking in the club like, okay, it's like a whole new world. This isn't, isn't something I'm used to. Start buying Pops drinks because I'm feeling so good. And they're, they're fairly reasonable. I thought, like, club drinks I always associate with, like, $20 a drink. Only $16 a drink. <laughs> buying- <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry, sorry. I f***ed that up. It was only $16 for two drinks. Two oh, drinks. Oh, That's not bad. Yeah, That's not bad. Drinks, all right. So I, uh, I'm buying Pops drinks from this, like, handsome male bartender. And then we start moving to where we know Lowry because a huge lineup of black dudes is just, like, created, like, this, like, wall for Lowry to, like, hide behind kind of okay, thing. Yeah. So we're no, like, but I try to, like, stand on the stage with the black dudes to just, like, you know, I'm, like, Blend these, in. these are my boys. <laughs> like, but the black guys just, like, push me off to, like, you, you got to leave, man. Like, you got to get off our stage. So I'm, like, okay. So I go to buy another drink. This little, like, annoying club-looking girl with the push-up bra and, like, the stuck-up nose. I'm like, ah, two Roman Cokes. She's like, $20. I'm like, okay, it was 16 before, but I'm like, no tip. So I just, I take the drinks for uh, for the 20 bucks, give it to Pops. Then we, I chug that, go back for another drink, same girl. And she's like, uh, okay, one drink I say this time because I'm not buying Pops drinks all night. And then she goes, $20. I'm like, you can't, what? She's like, it's a $20 minimum. I'm like, no, no, no. That guy charges me $8 a drink. She has a little meeting with him. The guy, like, clearly lies to me because he thinks I'm too drunk. He goes, yeah, sorry, uh, it's $20 minimum. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm not paying. I'm not paying. She calls a bouncer. (laughs) Bouncer comes over to kick me out. I go, uh, he's like a big, dumb club bouncer. And I'm like, I'm running this event. I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. That's what you said? Yes. You said (laughs) I go, and, and I, like, try to, like, fake sober up. I go, I'm, I ran. I had a big part in running. I just pretended I was virtual, basically. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had a big part in running this event. He just got all scared, didn't know what to do, stopped. And then Pop's like, yeah, just leave him alone. And then we kind of, like, Sung just out. got away with it. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Valentine's slash NBA All-Star Weekend. Yeah. So, on this episode, Max, we have Shad. Yeah, an old friend of mine. He's a buddy of yours. You set this interview up. Yeah, I've, I've been meaning to get Chad on the show. And Chad's had a really uh, amazing career in music so far. And then he got this gig working for CBCQ, replacing Gian Gomeshi. So I figured he'd have a lot of really interesting things to say on what it means to like take on a whole new career you know, in the middle of one successful one going right to the next. And just shifting gears. Yeah, yeah, he was great. And uh, I'd never met him, but uh, he's a big NBA fan. So actually, when I went down, we did this at Much in a boardroom, like actually pretty late at night, just me and him. I went down and got him from security, and uh, the whole walk, we just talked hoops. And yeah. Into like the first like five minutes of sitting down, and then we finally got into it. Yeah. Did you ask him anything about what it's like to like follow such like a prolific sexual abuser (laughs) (laughs) you'll have to listen to find out you know i guess like one of the first things i want to start with was people know you through your music Mm -hmm. um obviously job hosting q yeah um but like your backstory is interesting yeah like can you share a little bit about how your parents like your journey to canada how did that yeah yeah so uh uh long and long and short of it is basically um, so my family were Rwandans for generations and generations going back. My parents had to leave Rwanda when they were young. 
because of uh, political unrest. Mm -hmm. So um, they lived as, uh, you know, refugees all through East Africa, basically growing up all sorts of different countries. Um, my sister, uh, then they met in Uganda. My sister was born there. Uh, they had to leave Uganda and go to Kenya. I was born there. And then um, at a certain point, they were like, let's go somewhere where we can stay somewhere and our kids don't have to be refugees and, you know. Put down can, roots. We can put down roots and, and, you know, give our kids some stability and stuff. So, uh, my, as my parents tell it, they applied a bit of everywhere, actually. Oh, right. Cast a wide net. And then... Cast, you know, Canada, United States, Australia, Russia, uh, and, uh, and Canada accepted us. And uh, so they said, well, where do you want to go? And my parents were like, well, we don't speak French. So they're like, okay, so take that off the list. How about London, Ontario? There's lots of jobs there. Good city for a family. They said, sounds good. Yeah. And, uh, and, and went and set up there. And so at the time, um, most people from where, where my family is from, they would only go west to go to school. So, like, if you got a scholarship to go to Britain to go to school or America or Canada, you go away to go to school. But at that time, not a lot of people were really just straight up like, I'm peace, like, like I'm gone. Right. Leaving the life as they knew it, uprooting the whole family and just, and just immigrating. Like, yeah. So that wasn't really a thing at that time. So when my family arrived in London, we were, very, we were one of, I, I want to say, five to ten East African families. Who made the move. That were there. Yeah. All at the same time? or sort No, of um, yeah. Well, yeah, I want to say probably 70s, 80s. Like, that's kind of African immigration to Canada's basically started, I, I would say, around there. It was a big influx. How old were you when you came over here? Baby. Oh, baby. So then you don't really remember no, what I don't, life was like I don't before? No, I don't remember before. And what were they doing? Like, I mean... I'd imagine so it's like you apply and mm. then you come over. How do you, like, did they have sort of like like funds or like were they doing a certain job where they were able to save? Like, how do you... No, I mean, they came over here with very, very little, you know. They had some uh, employable skills. That's basically it, you know, not much. And maybe they knew one family, but that's about it. The craziest thing for me is to think that they were younger than me. Yeah. That's yeah. the weird thing for me to think about. They, like my mom was in her late twenties, and my dad was about my age. It was a different time, but I, you know, I can't imagine what they were thinking. With you know, two small kids and uh, a brand new country, not knowing anyone and no plans of returning. They they moved back now. Really? They, yeah, they they retired and they moved back. But at that point, it was like we're here. Yeah. And so, brave, brave <laughs> people. Yeah, it's bold. Yeah, it's bold. Um, growing up, you mentioned sort of there was like seven to 10 other families in that London area. Yeah. Were you a part of a community or like, I find like for a lot of like, I mean, one of the reasons I kind of like really like basketball is yeah. just in my personality. Yeah. It's like when everyone else is zigging, I want to zag. So like <laughs> everyone I grew up with loved hockey. So it's like, I want some little alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like sort of like the need to assimilate or was it something that you didn't even think about? Um, yeah. As assimilation wasn't something I really thought about. Um, like my own cultural experience, um, it was never, yeah, it was never strange to me. I guess, you know, 
I can look back in retrospect and think, oh, that's I kind of had an interesting experience culturally in my home, being different from when I go to school to right. when I go out on the street and meet with the kids out there. But it was always very normal to me. That was always uh, it was always normal. And as far as basketball goes, that was what we were all into. You know where I was, nineties. Uh, yeah, 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 that was the time. That was the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, I mean. It, what did your parents end up doing once they got here? Yeah, so my dad was a machinist. He worked for GM for most of his career in okay. London, Ontario. And my mom was a lab tech and worked at the hospital. Oh, very cool. So, uh, so we were very fortunate. My parents found work um, after a while and uh, we were good. Were they strict with you? Like, did they... Did they did they forge? Or did they have an idea of what they wanted you to do? As you yeah, you know, kind of like the, the typical immigrant thing. You sure. know, they want us to go to school and have the stability that they never had. Yeah. So that like, was what they hope. That's what they hope for, right? We made it all the way here. Use this infrastructure, and you don't yeah, know how good to, you have it. Yeah. To basically, and I understand it now very fully. Like to not like life is hard. Don't. Like, if you have the opportunity to make your life not that hard, take it. You'd be a fool not to. Yeah. That's so hard to see when you're younger. It's hard to see when they're younger. I feel like I only started to understand that more recently. Like, that, that's really at the bottom what they were thinking. Right. right. Like, life is hard for most people on planet Earth. Like, very, very hard. If you have the opportunity to make it a little bit easier, uh, you'd be wise to consider that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, did you ever have like sort of a phase of rebellion in those teens? I didn't. I didn't. You're always a good boy. I yeah, I was. Um, I was. I wasn't even angsty. I think until I was in my twenties. <laughs> like I was a. I was a pretty happy kid, and uh, never really inclined to do anything uh, too dangerous mm. or bad. I never had that bone in my body. Like I just. I never had it. Right. Like where I, yeah, I never wanted to, no, even roller coasters. I always say like even roller coasters, <laughs> if these things didn't exist, I wouldn't have never imagined right. them. Like you don't see the appeal in it. It's like, no, <laughs> but yeah, basically what I'm getting at is like, I've never been a thrill seeker yep. at all. I don't have a single bone of that in my body. Um, when did you start to sort of discover music and that, yeah. you know, you were inclined and that you had a talent for it? Um, I always loved music, like as a kid, uh, you know, I can remember being four and like being moved by music, never thought that that was strange. Like me and my friends and my sister and stuff, we always bonded over music, never thought I had an unusual passion for it. Um, things clicked for me later, I'd say in like my early twenties, like in, in high school, I'd freestyle with friends and stuff like that. And later in high school, I learned how to play guitar. Um, but these were like pastimes to me. When I got into my early 20s and I, I became an angsty <laughs> right. teenager of a 20-year-old and just felt like uh, suddenly feeling like I have... Uh, yeah, I have things that are unique to me that I want to say. That was when something clicked for me. And just a general spark. Something happened one day. 
it's weird, but something happened. Like I was like 19 and suddenly I was kind of possessed by this like urge to create and certain feelings that I'd never felt before. It wasn't an incident that triggered it. It's just something that you can't define. It just, you woke up one day and it was different. It's, it feels like mystical to be honest with you when I think back to it. Cause there was a night, uh, it, I was like done my last exam, I think in high school, this is back in the days of OAC in Ontario. So I, we had grade 13, finished my exam. I stayed up all night and wrote a short story. Hmm. It was not for school. I'd never pulled an all-nighter before in my life. I just stayed up all night and wrote a short story. I, I don't know why. I still don't know why. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I went to school, even though I didn't have to go to school. Exams were done. And I put it in my writer's craft teacher's uh, like box, you know, in the office. Like you submitted it. Like I like submitted. I don't know. I didn't know Even what it was an do. assignment. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I didn't know what you do with creative things. Anyways, so it was just like this thing that I just got bit, you know, by the uh, by this sort of inspiration, and that was it. it was yeah, weird. it was weird. Anyways, but that was that's not music. But then music was the easiest way for me to express myself because I think I had taken in so much music over the course of my life. So when I got to like twenty twenty one and and was still feeling that uh, angst and energy and wanting to create, music was the easiest thing to turn to. Right. It was another sort of uh, creative vessel, like whether it was that short story or music. Yeah. It was just you sort of expressing in a creative It was me form. expressing in a creative form, and it was the one that was most accessible to me because it was the one I knew the most. Without knowing it, I'd been kind of studying it. And You'd been kind of honing your skills in high school, beatboxing, playing guitar. Exactly. And so when it came time to express myself, it was like, yeah, okay, like... You know, when you're a fan of something, you actually end up studying it. Mm -hmm. I find guys do this a lot. You end up like <laughs> right. becoming a real, real nerd about the minutia. So I was doing that thinking that was just me being a fan. But actually, it was a sort of preparation for when it was time to make my own stuff. I, I, knew, I knew a lot about it. Mm -hmm. As your, I mean, obviously, as your hip hop career, you started to get recognized. I, I think I read that you'd won a contest, and then you used those yeah. earnings to, you know, record. Yeah. Um, as your hip hop career was taking off. Yeah. Uh, you moved to Vancouver for grad school. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a tough decision? One, and do you yeah. think that was part of, like you said, about your family saying, "Hey, take advantage of these opportunities. Don't make life tougher." Yeah. Was I all think that involved in that? It was. It was all. It was all that. But the the kind of precise moment where I decided to go to school, um, my second album was just about to come out, and it was kind of this time of like, I don't know if this is gonna work. Sure. You know, like I had made one album before on my own. That was a dream come true. I had so much fun doing what I could with that album in terms of getting out and playing shows and having these experiences. Um, and then I got the opportunity to make a second album and I did that. But it was still like, I don't know if this is going to work in terms of like becoming a career. Absolutely. At that, at that point. So I was like... At that point, I generally adopted the philosophy of if something interests you, then you do it. And if two things interest you, then you do two things. So on and so forth. So, and no was, fear that one might take away from the other? Not really. Because 
what I discovered in my life was that if you like something, you will find time. Sure. Right? So, okay, cool. So let me take on, uh, let me embark on this other adventure of going to school and seeing what's there for me. And um, fortunately, things worked out with music. But I was also enjoying school, so I stayed doing both for a few years. Um, and after that sort of finished up, is mm-hmm. that, I mean, you'd been doing music throughout grad yeah. school. Yeah. And then as it finished up, were you like, this is my focus. I want to make a go with this. I want a career in this. Yeah, yeah. So um, basically, uh, the, the timeline is kind of like um, that second album worked out fairly well for me, and I was, you know, music became how I made my living. Right? Things are cooking. Things, you know, it's cool. Yeah. Pay my bills and sure. things like that. Um, but I still liked school. So for years, I was I was kind of going back and forth. I'd do like a term of school a year. It took me a long time to finish school, but I did. And side by side with that, I, I had my career in music. And then when school was done, uh, it was just like, okay, well, now it's it's just music. And that was kind of it until uh, about a year ago. Yeah, so about a year ago, yeah. which is a pretty major shift in anyone's yeah. life. Yeah. Um, you have this award-winning rap career. You know, you're making quite a name for yourself. And then all of a sudden, an opportunity like Q comes along. Yeah. Like, what goes through your mind? Yeah. Um, the same sort of thing. Like, if, if somebody says you want to do this cool thing, you say yes. And then you figure out later how to make this stuff all work out. Right. That's it. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm still following the same philosophy, basically. Sure. Yeah. But with something like hosting a radio show, you know, whether it's the interviews or, you know, everything that comes along with it. Yeah. Is that something that you, like, were you taking note when you listen to other people interviewing? Like, yeah. is it something that you had an interest in or was it like, a, oh shit, that seems kind of like a cool thing to do. I could figure that out. What interested me the most was the, um, the like national conversation about important things. Sure. So, I, you know, I, I didn't know if I could do it. I didn't know if I could be a good interviewer. Um, but, but what interested me was like, here's an opportunity to like contribute something. And that's, you know, that's like, I guess that's a bit of a shift in my thinking because there was a time in my life where I was, I guess I was doing a lot of things, but I was kind of trying to chill. Like there's this strokes lyric. I'm working so I don't have to try so hard. That's a great line. Yeah. And that was always like, man, that's the only thing I understand in my life. (laughs) <laughs> of course you work so you don't have to try so hard then at a certain point I was like no actually you work because that's part of what makes life sane and that's part of uh, that's that's one of the great joys of life actually do you think it's the routine of work or the purpose it's the it's the purpose you know um, I routine feel is good too though routine is good too I'm not crazy about routine, but it's it's good. I think it serves a function. It I've learned function. as I've gotten older. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, what I think routine is good for is that, uh, man, there's so many things to think about in life <laughs> yeah. that if you have routine, it just minimizes the amount of things you have to think about and just frees up some bandwidth to actually think about important things. I think it was Mark Zuckerberg I read about yeah. where he wears the same thing every day, like the hoodie, because it's one less thing he has to think about. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I was reading this thing that says, actually, small decisions and big decisions, they take up the same amount of bandwidth. Oh, fascinating. Basically. So, you know, if you spend too much time in the food court figuring out what to eat, yeah. like, you're not going to have the brain power to, you know, make an important decision later in the day. 
Anyway, so yeah, routine's good for that. But like the, yeah, the, the purpose, you know, like... You're saying contributing to a national con- con- conversation. Yeah, con- like contributing, like making a contribution. Like do you want to get to the end of your life and say, you know what, I had a great life. Look how much, like I minimized my effort. In, you <laughs> yeah. know? No, you want to say I worked hard to try and contribute, right? That's actually what brings you joy and purpose, I think. So that was it. It was, it was like, wow, like this... If I can make a contribution here, this is like a, that's a big contribution. That's a lot. So. Well, I mean, you're in the driver's seat for that national conversation. Yeah. I guess like to the minutia of doing a show like you, do you choose what you talk about? Do you, do people bring ideas to you? Yeah. The the volume would be way too great. Of course. You know, an hour and a half every day. If I were to try and curate all of that, find it all and curate it all. No, there's a, there's a whole team of people that are involved with that. Right. So, um, you know, so, so I, I trust that they're bringing the stories to the table that are, you know, urgent and timely and what are on people's minds. And then I try to, to, to bring that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so this great opportunity comes along. Yeah. Um, your predecessor left under very public circumstances. Yeah. I guess the question is, does that in any way, as you're thinking about taking this gig, mm-hmm. sort of taint the experience? Does it, what are your thoughts going yeah. in? Is it a factor that plays into your thought process? The strange thing is not really, if I'm totally honest, because there's so much to think about. Like I've never done this before. So I'm thinking so much about how to do it. Yeah, what's my workload? So I think that's part of why it just, it, it didn't really enter into my mind that much. Um, Did you see it as a separate thing? It's like, hey, this is a job, this is an opportunity for me. Yeah, yeah. What happened before really doesn't have much to do with me? Kind of. I mean, or at the very least, I don't know what I can say about it, you know? Sure. Like I was kind of, I kind of felt like that. Like, I really don't know what I can say about it. And it takes up so much mental energy and space to just to try and do this well um can't even really think about that you know um yeah hmm. um what does a typical day look like for you to, i mean yeah you know you get yeah. it what time do you get to the office i get to the office at eight okay people think that the hard adjustment like coming from music is waking up early, but I have no problem waking up early. The hard part is functioning at 100% early. <laughs> That's right. the hard. Because everybody's got their like cycles, right? And my cycle is I'm at my peak around 10. Oh, okay. 10 a.m.? Like I start to like 10 till 2. I have a certain like certain kind of peak there. Right. It's like it's good for like administration, you know, kind of like that part of my brain. Um, so the first, you know, hour of the show that we do, I'm like struggling to, to get up to 100. Sure. Getting out of bed, no problems. Anyways, get to work at eight. Um, Are you a coffee man? Yeah, but I like my coffee later. Okay. You don't want to like uh, crack the seal too soon. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, you don't want to peak too early. That. You got to save that. There's just the natural shock of waking up. That's like that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah. So usually, usually I, I'm I'm usually good to go. Uh, you know, get to work, feel totally fine. Boom, and then uh, we do the show. After that, it's mainly meetings, 
going over like the pitches for the for the new the stories, um, doing research, and pretty much do that, and then go home and do that some more. When you started uh, at Q, mm -hmm. um, you said it was going to be a learning curve. What what's been the thing that you didn't anticipate the most? What's the most difficult thing that you didn't anticipate? Um, the the thing I didn't I didn't know what it would feel like. The thing I didn't anticipate was the way that it never stops. <laughs> it's just you're going for. It's just you know like you have a, a day and you're just you're talking to I don't know who Adele. Sure. And you, afterwards you're like okay like wow just finished that interview and then it's like the next day is like Gloria Steinem or something. Just keeps going. It just keeps going. There's no time to sit and reflect. Like, hey, I no. interviewed Adele today. That oh, no. next, keep no, coming. Exactly. The right. next, it's just boom to the next thing, and so, and then you know, then you're done that, and you look up on the wall where you know you have everything posted for what's coming up in coming weeks, and it's full. Mm -hmm. It's full. So like that, that pace. You know, I'm used to the music pace of like you go hard, and then you chill. Yep. This is just like. You just go hard. <laughs> Speaking of an Adele or a yeah. Gloria Steinem, yeah. what do you find the most challenging part about interviewing somebody? Um, the most challenging part I find is the guess, the guessing beforehand. Oh. So I can do all my research and prepare, and I can like, you know, look through all the questions and know exactly what I'd like to ask, but I'm still guessing at this person's. I can even watch some interviews, you know, but I'm still guessing at this person's energy when they walk in the door or when they pick up the phone in the studio or whatever. I'm guessing at like, what's the right first foot, you know, what's the right step in to the whole conversation. I feel like that's the hardest part. Right. How to start it off right. How to, so then How to start on the right foot. Like it's just, it's a bit of a guessing game. And so... You can think like, okay, this person is prickly or this person is a big personality or this person's more chill. You don't 100% know. And so that's tricky because you're trying to prepare and there's a certain thing about the energy that you just, you can't prepare for. You don't know. That's the unpredictable that's part. The un that's the unpredictable. I actually find that the hardest part of interviews is just knowing how to start because I don't... I don't know that person's energy. It's like with music, I would never, and my band kind of hates this, but I, I never make a set list until I'm in the venue. Oh. When I'm in the venue, then I have a sense of the energy. I have a sense of like what the night is going to be. Okay. Now I can say this song first, then this, then this you know, but uh, you don't have that luxury so much in an interview. Speaking of set lists and playing live with Q, how much have you had to peel back uh, shows, mm -hmm. music, writing? Yeah, writing is the one that really, it's like, if, if I'm working on the show, like, unless I have time off, I'm not writing. Because the show takes up too much mental space. Like, there's just no room. There's no room to, like, wander and, like, imagine and do all that. Because that takes, that just takes so much space, mm -hmm. I find. Mental space. And I imagine, like, with 
music, yeah. it's like you need to be in the right place to write it. And if it's yeah. like you only have those four hours at the end of your day after working and it's like, am I going to throw on some Netflix or am I going to try and force out some music? Yeah, there's just – there's things you can't force. You know what I mean? Like for me with music, you need that – like I need that time to like really ruminate. You know what I mean? Get a sense of – just get a sense of whatever. Like imagine – get a sense of where I'm at, get a sense of the times and feel inspired. And there's just no rushing that. There's no shortcut to that. There's no programming that into an hour of your day. Yeah. No, you can't do that. How, how do you envision balancing music and hosting the show going forward? I don't know. I'll figure it out as I go, but I think it will take time off. Like I've, I've had a week off here and there and I've, I've been able to write. That's no problem. I can do. I, I can carve out time and I can be disciplined about writing, but it it takes a lot of time and space. It's really more like mental space to like just you know be able to be able to think in a whole other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With um, your music career and hosting Q, these are you know those are both high-profile jobs, you know, with how successful you were able to be with music, and then obviously cues this national sort of behemoth. Mm -hmm. Um, With, you know, sort of being so high-profile in those situations, there's going to be criticism, there's going to be praise. How have you always approached, you know, criticism, and for that matter, when people sort of, you know, Yeah, I mean, for me, I think one thing that's different, actually, is like, criticism... Criticism with the show, um, I don't really take it in at all. Like I don't, I don't, I don't read uh, social media. I don't read press, and that surprised me because I do that with music. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I can take in criticism with music, but with the show, I don't because I need to do it the next day. It's that thing it's you're like, talking about it's like that I, keeps moving. Like, I, I can't, I just can't uh, let this stuff get in my head because I need to do it in, like, five minutes. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's actually a difference in terms of, of, of criticism. And I guess the same thing goes for praise, too. It's like, I just, I have to think so much about what I'm doing that I can't really take in what people say one way or the other, which is very different from music where I'm like, I'm, I read all my reviews and stuff with, with music. I'll interact with people or whatever. But, uh, with the show, it's like, can't like, gotta do, gotta like think about my guest and I can't have anything else on my mind. So with music, when you're reading these, if somebody writes something negative, yeah, how, how do you take that in? Do you go, Oh, is there value there? Or is it, them or what is it yeah no it's like their opinion is valid uh music is subjective of course but they may or may not be right sure but for some reason it's kind of like well that's a thing that i made like if it's an album or something it's like i'm not gonna make one for like another two years (laughs) yeah yeah. like i can uh i can absorb that criticism and and if i if i do if it does resonate like i can use it and get better whereas uh with the show, it's like, I got that guest is, is, you know, Yo-Yo Ma is in an hour. Like, I got to think about Yo-Yo Ma and nothing else. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just got to keep it moving. 
there's no there's no option right yeah there's no choice what do you guys do so five days a week um uh five, i host four days a week four days um an hour and a half on three of those days and one day it's two hours Jeez, and then yeah. anytime like just like a week off here a week off there yeah but it's just like going and grind it out just just going yeah <laughs> it's just going um lastly yeah um what do you see yourself doing in 10 years from now? Man, no, no idea. I'm unanswerable? Unanswerable, because it's always been unanswerable. Yeah, because if I were to ask you that question even three years ago, would yeah. this outcome seem incredibly no. unlikely? No, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I guess the, 100%. Yeah. So there's the question. Yeah. What, would, what would Chad from three years ago say if someone showed you this three years from then? Oh, man. <laughs> he would laugh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that's what it's been, you know, that's the, that's like the greatest thing that music gave me, man, like, just set me on this different course of just, you know, doing whatever, different things, interesting, exciting things, that's it. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah, no problem. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we are now in what Max likes to call the dessert. We're actually just going to talk about uh, Shane going to Cuba. Just to sum things up, your mother retired and they gave her a Cuba trip. Yeah, uh, my mom retired, won a trip, who presumably I thought she'd go with my stepdad or husband. Uh, but I would tease her when I saw her at like Christmas. I was like, hey, mom, when are we going on that trip together? And she'd be like, oh, honey. And then next thing I know, my sister tells me mom booked us a trip and we're going to Cuba. <laughs> so I effectively stole the trip from my stepdad <laughs> and me, my sister and my mom went to Cuba, which uh, anyone who's been to Cuba, you know that you don't have access to the Internet at all. Even if it says there's like a little Wi-Fi booth, there's never no. access to the Internet. So I was excited to get a little bit of a getaway, but worried to be with my mom and my sister They're Fun-loving eccentrics, I'll call them. <laughs> but you know anything? No, but but going going on a, a trip with your family as an adult, can't some families do it? But a lot of families don't for a reason that it's just kind of weird to hang out with like you know your family for a week straight. Well, especially when those adults are sharing the same room. Yeah, my mom <laughs> alerted me. She's like, "I'm gonna have to sleep on the rollaway bed," and I went, "Haha, what do you mean?" And she's just her way of telling me there's going to be a cot in the room. Uh-huh. And obviously I have to go, no, mom, I'm on the rollaway bed. So they got the big bed and I got the little bed. <laughs> Things, And I made a rule like do not yell at these people because growing up there's a lot of fighting and yelling between my, my sister, myself, my mom. I said no fighting. Be cool. You're on a trip. You're a calmer person now. <laughs> and, and then uh, – you know, if I didn't shut a light off or if I left my phone, they'd be like, shut that light off. And they or like my sister's like, I always shut my reading light off when I go to the washroom and stuff where you just want to murder them. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to sleep. It's a tropical place. I like to sleep at a relatively cool temperature. Even in the wintertime, I like it like 65. They like it at about, you know, 78. <laughs> So I'm sweating my nuts off. They also like to go to bed at 11, uh-huh. and I like to go to bed at 1 or 2 a.m. Yeah. So I couldn't – I was basically trapped in the bed, et cetera, et cetera. You know, one night my mom got crazy hammered, kind of like a 
she was being rude to people. Like people were trying to talk to her and she'd be like, well, my son is friends with the Arkells and all, <laughs> and all of his friends are famous. We got a hockey player in the mix and we, he's in TV. Where'd you go to school, Shane? And I'd be like, oh no, just ignore her. And then we would try to like learn about other people. And yeah. she'd be like, oh, Matt McPeak is so cute. And she would just <laughs> like talk about all of my friends. That's Very rude. sweet. Though. So then I start stealing my mom's beers oh, and yeah. drinking them covertly behind yeah. her back. So I'm like, okay, last drink. We're going, we're going back. Uh, she's like, all right, all right. So we go back, but we're we're walking with this group too, back to the room. So these are friends you'd made. At yeah. The, so yeah. she got one last beer. Mostly Canadians, by the way. Or mostly Canadians. Mostly, okay. Yeah. But one last beer, and then I'm like, hey, mom, could I could I have one sip of your beer? She's like, all right, and I just down it. <laughs> but she gets, like, so upset about that. She's like, now I need another beer. Now I need another beer. <laughs> it's all inclusive. I, I don't want her to drink anymore, Yeah, no, I know. But, <laughs> no, I, get, oh, I get that. But it's not like she couldn't get another one if. I'm not allowing her to okay, get another beer. Yeah, yeah. I'm like the dad now. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I get her in the room. I, I kind of, I'm like, no, you don't need any more alcohol. <laughs> And then I like, I pretend to sleep and then my mom gets up, sneaks out <laughs> to get the beer and then I'm like fuming. So then You're I'm like. You're on vacation, man. She's retired. No, she's, she, oh, you think I have a bad sense of direction, right? My mom has the worst fucking sense of direction. Like anything that's like bad about me is exacerbated through my mom by a thousand percent. <laughs> like she's. So bad at direction. So she gets lost every time it comes to coming back to the resort. So I, half an hour later, I go find her just at the bar, like hunched over, like talking <laughs> to some Mexican dude or whatever. Who's like, Cuban person? Yeah, he was like, he's, <laughs> what? No, he was at the resort. Okay, okay. He was like Mexican. He's like, and then my uh, spleen was ripped in two and I haven't had a drink since. And he had this huge scar from a motorcycle accident. Oh, wow. And I'm like, and my mom shouldn't have a drink either. And then <laughs> I took her back to the room. And uh, yeah. But then, you know, I'm the responsible one. The next night, I got so drunk. Apparently, I was, like, crying and being like, I'm so sorry, Mom, and all that. <laughs> so the apple doesn't fall far from the alcoholic tree or whatever. <laughs> all right, that's our episode. Thanks for tuning in. You can follow us at Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter. Huge thank you to Jenna Gregory, who provides all the artwork for the show, jennadoodles.com. You can find more of her stuff there. Please leave a comment and rating for us on iTunes. It all really helps the show. Uh, and, you know, tweet at us. Uh, send us a note, uh, you know, on iTunes or however you want to be in touch. And we'd love to, love to hear from you. I'd like to thank Shad for coming on and being a great guest. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. And I am your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.